0: This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. Putting in conservative justices in the Supreme Court in so many ways. I love this because I don't want the chaos, but it's such an incredible irony that this win, this super win, could cause a super loss on Election Day 2022. It's not only an irony, but a measure of America's priorities. When we're on the verge of World War III, the Chinese taking of Taiwan and world domination, the edge of a recession and some say a depression, the crime wave, the pandemic, and all this points to a Republican win because we could see the irresponsibility of the Democrat regime that's in charge, including all those in Congress. We've seen money being thrown around in all the wrong places. All this points to a Republican win that we have to get past. But the abortion issue, it's only the disclosure of a memo. So even the hint of a defeat of Roe v. Wade throws all this into question. Will that issue be the determining factor in the 22 elections? He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio. His name is New York Mike, and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio. I'm New York Mike. I'm late in getting this out, and I'll tell you why I'm late. I do a podcast every couple of days, right? Cut twice a week, takes a lot. Yesterday I spent a lot of time putting something together, and then boom! Last night, it comes up about the leaked memo from the Supreme Court, the leaked memo from Justice Alito. And honestly, it changed everything. So I want to do this podcast today. It's a do-over. You never heard the first one, right? It's a do-over because everything has changed. And I wanted to talk about, and we'll talk about right now, just for a moment, before we get into this whole Supreme Court debacle, We're going to talk briefly about Rolling to Remember. It's coming up fast. Memorial Day is less than a month away. Here we are. It's May. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend. We always get there on the Thursday before the Memorial Day. So we're there Thursday, Friday. Friday is the candlelight vigil. God bless AMVETS. It is so important. And again, I ditto myself over and over and over saying the same things. But it's so important. Make sure you tell your friends, tell your enemies, be in Washington. We talk about POWs and MIAs. This ride is a huge demonstration of our love for those who sacrificed their lives for our freedom, for our country. And it's a demonstration that we should never leave an American behind. And of how many Americans we actually have left behind, at least since World War II. And so, again, this year, more than ever, the importance after we left behind, we don't even know how many Americans in Afghanistan, in modern times, with all of this behind us, with having had rolling thunder for all these years and now rolling to remember, all about Memorial Day, all about the sacrifice, all about not leaving an American behind. And here we go we left. We don't know if it's a hundred, a few hundred, a thousand, thousands. We don't even have an accounting of how many. So it is so important. Please, rolling to remember, rolling to remember Washington, D.C., the Am vets, Check it out. Look it up. Honestly, I'm going to try to get as much information as I can with regards to the agenda for the weekend I can tell you Friday night at the wall, the candlelight vigil, if I only went in for one thing, if I got there for the candlelight vigil and went home, I'd feel like I I paid tribute. And that's enough. But the whole weekend is so important. So let's talk about what's going on in America. Podcast after podcast from everybody you listen to podcasts (laughs) will tell you all about. What's going on in America, and certainly roll right radio, Will, about the inflation, about Afghanistan and what's going on in Ukraine. We could talk about it all. And then last night, Roe v. Wade, Politico, the political magazine, which is pretty much a left-wing magazine, which is okay. I'm not saying in a bad way, but they publish a leaked memo from Supreme Court Justice Alito points to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, you know, Mississippi passed a law that you can't have an abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy because that's when they said there's a heartbeat and viability. And in the original Roe v. Wade, it's after 24 weeks. So 15 weeks is about four months. And not having an abortion after four months was something that's controversial so they brought it to the supreme court the supreme court is coming up with their answer and in part they leaked this memo because this doesn't come out till june or july the memo was leaked because alito is writing a memo that says and this memo has to go around this is nothing that's For the public to see, for anybody to see. These are highly classified, not even classified. They're just so guarded. This is just conversation amongst the justices, all of them. They can all comment on and change things and write things. and This is between them. So it's not for anybody's eyes who's not a justice of the Supreme Court. And somebody who works at the Supreme Court in some capacity, and we don't know yet, but we're going to find out, but somebody, or maybe it was more than one person, we'll find out, leaked this opinion. That's all it is, is an opinion memo. Now, yes, and, and then, by the way, it's never happened, never, in the history of the Supreme Court, it's never happened before. Okay? Never happened before. It's a tremendous violation of trust and good faith, it's been called an insurrection by some. It's thought to have perhaps maybe a pro-choice activist would have put this out before the court would have ruled, most likely, like I said, in July, as a catalyst to change the minds of a justice or to spin Congress to pass this national abortion law that I believe they already have on. Well, I want to say on the books in the queue, ready to go. Either way, whether it's there to change the minds of some justices or to create this great controversy, to warn those quote unquote pro-choice. I don't like the term pro-choice when it comes to abortion. I'm going to go on the record. and I'll say this again, but I don't want to make abortion illegal. I am pro-life, and I don't want to call it a choice. It is not a choice. It's a huge personal decision, not only for the mother, but this decision, somebody's life, and it is about life. So whatever the reason is, at a time when the country is in turmoil, this is going to ensure chaos will ensue. It'll also galvanize the so-called pro-choice Democrat Party and left-wing like nothing else. The incredible irony, what a totally random and totally consequential turn of events. By the way, more thrilling, if you think thrilling is the right word, than anything that could have been written for a book or a screenplay or a movie or anything else, or another illustration of why... Reality. Life itself is stranger than fiction. First, the leak itself is something in and of itself. Who leaked this memo? Was it a single individual, a group, maybe supported by, you know, an organized effort? I believe the memo came out in February. So somebody had to get a hold of it pretty quick because these memos are destroyed. They're totally destroyed. They're put in a burn bag before they're scrambled. So between February and now, Was somebody just, who got a hold of this, just looking at it, reading it and rereading it? Were they talking to others? Is it an individual, a group, a couple of people, or an organized effort? Discovering where this leak came from, this is a must. It has to be dealt with severely to maintain the integrity of the court. When you talk about crime and punishment, would you punish a criminal... You're not just punishing that person for committing the crime. You want to discourage other people from committing those crimes. This is the example that has to be set. That's just the way it is. Holding the leaker accountable is paramount right now. A priority because it's not just the integrity of the Supreme Court. It's the respect for law and order that's been challenged so violently since Floyd. The virtual anarchy. That's taken place and even promoted with cities burning, crime, not just rising, but being legitimized with laws now not to prosecute loss under $950. They're making laws that say if you go into a department store or a little retail outlet, a jewelry store, think about it. Everything is in Nordstrom's, which is, by the way, maybe I'm bringing up a wrong example, but I'm saying, let's say you have a, you know, a mom and pop, a family-owned business, a jewelry store, a clothing store. Now, suddenly, the law is saying in these states, as long as it's not over $950, it's not a felony. Don't worry about it. Think about the implications of that. How in the world can legitimate lawmakers Leaders, people elected to run cities, states, I mean, about whatever. Come up with something like that. I mean, even if they said, Oh, this is okay for Nordstroms or Macy's or whatever, but not for local businesses. Just think about the harm you're doing to everybody. It's just wrong, but that's what's going on in many cities around the country. No bail policies that let criminals free without bail. Even the most heinous crimes, like rape and murder, the defund the police movement. You don't think this is all supportive of anarchy? And by the way, this defund police movement, even though you have Democrats who were pushing this big time, all of them, even and especially the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. If you remember her talking about no bail and defund the police, okay, it's still flourishing around the country, mostly on the left, but... On the right, there's also a smaller but measurable disillusionment with authority that's represented by the current regime, in contrast to past national leaders. And as the lies and corruption of the cronies and political manipulation of the left continue to be uncovered, which includes the 2016 election, Russia Gate the cover-up of the Hunter Biden laptop, the sweeping under the rug of the mistakes, the problems, and clear evidence of the fecklessness of the Biden presidency in the Afghanistan debacle, which I mentioned, the energy crisis, southern border crisis, inflation crisis, and so on. Crisis after crisis. Nobody wants to talk about this crisis. In all this, it's important that the faith that people have in our government is reinforced and justified constantly. But little by little, the erosion of that faith is more evident and the leaking of this SCOTUS memorandum of opinion regarding Roe v. Wade is more evidence that the things we held sacred, the trust and faith in our highest institutions, have eroded. Conversely, by the way, The narcissism of the individual, the self-importance, the lack of humility, the hubris that's infecting the national conscience may have led to this one person or persons employed by the court to believe their feelings and beliefs are more important than the integrity of SCOTUS, the integrity of the Supreme Court of the United States. Wow. Some things we take for granted, like the infrastructure around us, the bridges, tunnels, roadways are beginning to crumble or at least fall into disrepair, with trust being the cement that holds our society together. What infrastructure is more important? Once again, showing how the intangible outweighs and are more important consequentially than what you can see, touch, or fail. Think about it. We can go around crumbling roads or close bridges, but when we lose trust, there's no patch, no temporary repair kit. As citizens, we've maintained that trust over the 246 years, that's not a long time, by the way, of this nation, Allowing the lying, cheating, the wars that cost over a million lives and personal damages that's immeasurable because they were unnecessary wars or wars that we were unprepared for. We've come through depression, national scandals, riots, tragedies of all kinds from Hurricanes, typhoons, everything. And we've tolerated our political losses with the resolve to fight harder to turn things around. Let's hope we can maintain this ability to test our trust in our system and restore our faith in the face of the country's deep divide, the name-calling and seemingly self hatred of our country, which will now be tested like never before. That's a big statement for a country that went through a civil war only 160 years ago. But we measure success by the peace we've been able to hold on to, not the wars, where there are victories but no winners. That's right. Not the wars. Because in the wars, there are victories, but there are no winners, only survivors. And now we've seen the integrity of the Supreme Court violated. The national debate between life and death changing its conclusion after 50 years. Yeah, I said it, life and death. It's not about life and choice. It's life and death. After 50 years of the acceptance of Roe v. Wade to its overturning and the question of will that be accepted? Yeah, we've accepted it. There's a pro-life movement, and I always get questions so well when I was very active in the Republican Party, I'd be in these rooms, and here's, you know, are you pro-life enough? That always seemed to be the test. I go into these meetings, these rooms, pro-life, pro-choice, if you weren't absolutely, 100%, pro-life meant just getting rid of Roe v. Wade and making abortion totally illegal. It was never, wait a minute, let's get rid of Roe v. Wade because I'm not, and I I shouldn't say never, because rational minds did say it should be the right of each state to decide, which is true. And that's what it will be if they overturn Roe v. Wade. It's not going to make abortion illegal in the United States of America. It's going to say The Constitution of the United States of America says that this is a state's rights issue. It should have always been a state's rights issue. We dealt with it since 1973. I don't think we ever threatened the very foundation of America, at least not on the right, not on the conservative side. I used to go to those meetings and everybody would be arguing. Now, you would think that relatively conservative Republicans in the room. Who were not for the overthrow of Roe v. Wade wouldn't be talked to, but it was common, two or 300 people in the room. I'd always raise my hand and say, wait a minute, how many people in this room, pro life people, have been to the March for Life on January 22nd in Washington, D.C.? And very rarely were there more than two or three people, and I'd always raise my hands because I've been to the March for Life in Washington. DC. And I am not one who would ever want to make abortion illegal. But I do believe that Roe v. Wade is wrong. It was wrong constitutionally and legally. And I just never believed that we shouldn't have the choice as people to vote locally to come up with our own criteria for what is acceptable. Is it rape, incept, the life of the mother? Is there a time Frame uh, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, 20, whatever. What are the circumstances? There's more of a debate. Should 18 year olds have the permission of their parents? These are things that we should always have been talking about, but it seemed like we were never able to because it was always black and white. It was always either or <laughs> one or the other, nothing in between. But the question of will an overthrowing of Roe v. Wade be accepted? Yes. With protest, yeah. It's America. They're always protest. God bless America. That's who we are. That amendment that guarantees us redress. That's what the First Amendment says. That's what this country is. Yes, we accept it with protest. But how far will a defeated and defiant left go? Is this the holy grail of the left and the Democrat Party? Maybe. So, how do we treat the holy grail? I believe we're about to see. And the biggest irony of all, at a time of national crisis, of our most critical components, all the things that make up America, all the things that we need to be concerned about as citizens, as a people, the safety of America as a nation, our most critical components, will this change? in our laws, be accepted enough to avoid total chaos? And how do we measure priorities? Just as Republicans, we're counting chickens. We're counting chickens before they hatch, not considering whether or not they'll take back Congress in America. But by how many seats? That's what we've been saying. We're counting those chickens, baby. We got that. Oh, are you going to be 30 or 40 or 50 or 60? Okay? When nothing was considered enough to stop this turnaround, the irony that this potential super win, super win, this is what the Republican Party has stood for, putting in conservative judges, justices in the Supreme Court. In so many ways, I love this because... I don't want the chaos. I don't want... No, don't get me wrong. But it's such an incredible irony that this win, this super win, could cause a super loss on Election Day 2022. It's not only an irony, but a measure of America's priorities when we're on the verge of World War III, the Chinese taking of Taiwan, and world domination. The edge of a recession, and some say a depression. Yeah. The crime wave, the pandemic. And all this points to a Republican win because we can see the irresponsibility, the fecklessness of the Democrat regime that's in charge, including all those in Congress, or so many of those in Congress. Actually, I haven't heard from too many Democrats in Congress who are concerned about these things. Yeah, I mean, the war, they want to send weapons, they want to do this, but I don't see them rushing to build our military to where it needs to be, that peace through strength that we all know is a fact. We haven't seen that. We've seen money being thrown around in all the wrong places. All this points to a Republican win that we have to get past this. The abortion issue, even the hint of a defeat, which is what this is, it's only the disclosure of a memo. So even the hint of a defeat of Roe v. Wade throws all this into question, as you will now see if the right to unquestioned abortion, abortion on demand, trumps all this. Will this choice issue be the determining factor? And I don't like the word choice. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Will that issue be the determining factor in the 22 elections? I don't mean to make this an opinion piece about abortion, but I think I must, if I'm going to be honest. And like many who may have to step up to the plate, I'm definitely conflicted by how the two sides have defined themselves. I've talked about this. and I'm not hiding it. There's so many things about this. When I think about the left... And the things that they're saying about this, I think about the comments of Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer, the Senate leader or whatever they call themselves. He says that this memo that may signal the overturning of Roe v. Wade is an abomination. The worst ever in human history. That's where the left is. Now, when I say the left, sometimes you think when I say the left, we're talking about something all the way to the left, the squad, the AOCs. No, we're talking about mainstream Democrats here. We've identified them. Look, I understand it's an important issue. It's important to all of us. One way or another, it's important to all of us. But stepping up and calling this an abomination, the worst in human history, to say that. The decision of whether an abortion is a, I don't even want to say a legal thing, but the determinants that allow a woman to have an abortion are determined by the states and not by the federal government. That's an abomination, the worst ever abomination in human history. What's wrong with this man? What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with this thinking? It's important. But if I was the leader on a losing side and I would try to rally my people, I would try to calm them down. Yes, you want to rally them to vote. Yes, I know. I'm not going to fault him for that. But I would be saying this overturning a Roe v. Wade means the right to decide whether an abortion is legal or not goes to the states. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's because there was a rape or there was incest or the the mother's life or the child's life or whatever the reason is, it goes to the states. It's no longer an issue that's determined by Washington, D.C. It's no longer a, a federal issue. It's a state's issue. That's what a statesman should be doing. And he could say, I don't agree with that. We should keep it in place. And I think it should be, yes, talk about it. Yes, I'm not stopping you from saying that. That's what you should say. That's how you feel. That's what you believe. I don't have a problem with that. It's not an abomination. Now, on the other side, if I or somebody else who was pro-choice said, this Roe v. Wade is an abomination. It's the worst thing in human history. That's a call to action. That's a call to say this is unacceptable which, by the way, it is 60 million abortions in the last 50 years. By the way, the whole idea of Planned Parenthood, the medical organization that is the largest, I I believe it's safe to say, the largest performer and promoter of abortion, was founded by Margaret Sanger in order to reduce the amount of blacks in America, talking eugenics. We're talking about the reason that we have Roe v. Wade, the reason we have had this argument over the years is because Margaret Sanger was the champion of abortion on demand for black people because she wanted to do something to limit the amount of black people in America. Talk about the ultimate racist, they can talk about Jim Crow all they want, you got to look at this and laugh and say, wait a minute, this was proposed and put out there. And Planned Parenthood was founded on the idea of reducing or eliminating, to whatever degree they could, blackbirds in America. And in so many ways, they've actually succeeded. This should anger every liberal, everybody on the left. They should see right through this, and they just don't seem to. They are so much more upset that Roe v. Wade may be overturned and the decision of whether abortion is legal, illegal, to what extent goes to the individual states. It just doesn't seem like the end of the world that Chuck Schumer, and oh, by the way, all the rest of these Democrats are saying the same thing. Oh, my God, this is the end of freedom in America. And by the way, it's not pro-choice. There's so many who have to step up to the plate. Like I said before, I'm conflicted by how the two sides have defined themselves. And that may be more telling, by the way, as this decision brings all our feelings to the surface. I am, without a doubt, pro-life. but. I would never make abortion illegal. I believe we've missed lots of opportunities over the last 50 years to pass laws that would make abortion much more of a serious decision than a mere choice. But the two opposing sides have been so diabolically opposed there hasn't been room for compromise or any national dissent. Instead, we have a nation polarized in our dissent, two sides with little and no wiggle room. So it's win or lose, nothing in between, no compromise. We will see who we are as a nation, what our priorities are in the coming election, what we're willing to accept from our leaders, and what we'll demand from future leadership. Is it about abortion? Not a choice, by the way. Pro choice from the waist down. Yeah, I was state director of a beta California 10 years. And it was the helmet law. And I'm not going off course here, I'm telling you what choice is. The helmet law was passed in California on January 1st, 1992. And coming out here with one of the states I chose, I was looking at Arizona, California to get away from the liberal. New York. I didn't want to bring my kids up in New York. I was tired of a place that was run by foreign of liberals. (laughs) One of the criteria, I wanted to be in a place without helmet laws. I want to have my own choice. So I came to California, and I saw the writing on the wall. I got out here in 87. In 88, I got everything out. I had a 72 sports. What a great bike that was. Sold it to Russ Stag, <laughs> yeah, and came out here on my 88 dresser, right from Rolling Thunder, by the way, in Washington. Yeah, I was at the campgrounds in Front Royal, West Virginia. We were camping out. That's about a 45, 50-minute ride in D.C. In those days, I would ride down, pitch my tent in the campgrounds over there with everybody. After Rolling Thunder, that was like, you know, and then 5 o'clock, I'm back at Front Royal. I'm after 10, I said, you know what, I'm I'm headed out to San Diego. Wrapped up everything, put it in the bike, got on the bike, left Sunday, got to San Diego that Thursday. I get here, and a few years later, I could see the writing on the laws. I was always active in the bait back in New York. I think it was a bait of New Jersey. came out here. The first thing I did was join an a bait group up in Orange County. You do that to not just get rid of laws, but hopefully to prevent the passing of laws, and as I got even just a little bit involved, I could see the trend. I could see what was going on. Governor Duke Magian had vetoed two helmet laws that were passed by the California Assembly and the California State Senate by the Democrats, and the governor, the Republican Governor Duke Magian, had vetoed them twice. And now Governor Pete Wilson was in, Republican governor. And I said, there's no way he's going to veto it. It was passed twice. Now it's three times. I think three times. That's a hard veto. And I don't see it. But nobody wanted to believe it. There was such complacency. I was like a guy from New York drumming up trouble. But that was our choice. Now that's a choice. You're not going to die because you're not wearing a helmet. It may save your life. A lot of people will swear by it. But if you crash, does it make for safer riding? Because if it does, eh, maybe I'll agree with you. If it doesn't, does it detract from safer riding? And I'll make those arguments all day long. We can argue. We can talk. We can discuss and protest and all those things. But I don't think it's right for the government to take away your choice. We have good arguments for the fact that helmets don't do what they're proposed to do, what people say they do. They give riders a false sense of security. In some cases, they give them a sense of invincibility. And so we argue, which should be our choice. That's a choice. All these pro-choice people when it comes to abortion? We could argue all day. There's a human life forming in somebody. There's a human life. You're going to call it a choice to end that human life at whatever stage it is? I'll give you that if you have good reason. Rape. Yeah, maybe. Rape and incest. Certainly the life of the mother I don't know if there are other criterias. There could be. I don't even want to bring them up. But there could be. And people should have the right to argue that they may have a choice if these conditions are there. Yes. But to just blatantly go in and say, well, I don't want to, you know, I, I've, got two ki- I've got a college education. I've got a fund. I'm three, four months prior. I can't afford this. You take a life for that? Or, look, we have two boys. We just found out it's a boy. We're going to end it. And you don't want to say we're going to kill it. You're going to end it. You're going to abort it. Those are just other ways of saying we're going to kill it. Say it like it is. That's what we've given these people, the ability to make infanticide sound Okay, we're we're not going to kill it. No, 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 no. Oh, it's a zygote. It's a fetus. It's a, whatever. It's a human being. And I think when you argue at what point it's viable, at what point can it sustain its own life, at what point, I'll give you these arguments. Not that I'm going to agree with them all, but I'll give you the fact you're certainly entitled to argue those things. But you're not entitled. do well, you do. You do it. You could say you're entitled. You call it a choice. It's just not. So when I was state director of Beta California, I used to say that these very people fighting for a choice to kill the babies were fighting against our choice, whether or not to wear a helmet. I know it sounds laughable, right? And that's why I used to say on the steps of the Capitol, These people are pro-choice from the waist down. That's it. So, you know, they had a little bit of humor and this, but it's not funny. And whether it's seatbelts, helmets, vaccines, and masks, yeah, yeah. look what's happened. Look what's happened when the left wants to take away your choice, wearing a helmet, having the vaccine. They want to that vaccine mandates. Vaccine passports, they're still demanding masks on planes. How in the world am I going to get rid of helmet laws? Trying to convince them that helmets are not the panacea and we should have our choice. I wear helmets a lot and I even advocate for Kirsch helmets. I kind of like that helmet, but I'm never going to advocate for a face mask. You know, I don't know enough about an N95 or some other. Nobody's ever said, in my opinion, that there's a mandate to wear a certain mask that meets a certain criteria. I haven't heard that from the government. I just heard, wear a mask. It's a mask mandate. And when you see the ones who are wearing the mask, they're almost always cloth. I can't identify them as anything else. What a turnaround, huh? What crazy events. Choice is bullshit. A facade. Life is life when it comes to abortion. It's a facade. It's not a choice. And we should have held them accountable for that from the very beginning. Life is life, but we could have pushed harder for laws that would have limited abortion by requiring parental approval of girls under 18 and other laws. But it's been an all-or-nothing campaign, as if Roe v. Wade being overturned would bring an end to abortion on demand. It will not. As each state will pass laws regarding abortion, which is the way the Constitution reads, that it should be. So now, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, the debate will rage in state by state, and perhaps we'll have some creativity and compromise. Things will come up when we talk about America. We talk about freedom. And we talk about we talk about competition. The people that want abortion on demand, the people that want abortion illegal, and then we argue for everything in between. And we come to some place where everybody's a little bit unhappy and a little bit happy. And they feel a little good, but it's ongoing. It's always going to be that way. Over the years, the last fifty years, science—if I can use that word. Science has come so far, and now we know the gender of the baby. We know so many things from the very first moments there's a heartbeat. We can see it. We can identify it. That wasn't like that in the 70s. You didn't have that ability, not as easily as you have it today. It wasn't readily available for every parent to know what the gender was. When it was the first heartbeat? The sonograms everything has come so far. And they'll continue. There was a big question. When does life start? It's an honest question. And I think now we have closer to better answers to that question. Just because people say it's unfair, this is an important part of the discussion. People in California they're always going to have abortion on demand. People in New York will have abortion on demand. But there are people in states that, you know, will say, we can't have abortion. I don't know what's the moment, Mississippi, Alabama. You, you just don't know. Maybe Texas. I have no idea. I shouldn't be speculating. And then people will say, how come I'm living in a state? On my state, I can't have an abortion. I should be able to have an abortion. Why do I have to move to California or New York? Well, let me tell you something. My guess would be millions of people have moved out of New York and California in the last several years since this pandemic, since the shutdown of so many states. I have a friend who moved out of California less than a month ago. I'm sitting there and talking to him, a very successful guy, guy that had a very successful construction company and I didn't know him that well. I knew him. Say hello. How you doing? And he came up to me and he asked me about the bandhandling in Florida. I go, yeah, I was stationed in Fort Walton. I love it. I'm thinking of moving to Panama City, Florida. He goes, oh, my God, great, because I'm moving to Fort Walton Beach. Actually, I'm moving to Niceville. Niceville is a little suburb of Fort Walton Beach, right outside Heglin Air Force Base. And I was stationed at Eglin, Hurlbut Field particularly, quite a bit. And I love the area. It's a great area. I've been back. I have friends there. And we began talking, and he bought a house in Niceville, and he's moving out, and he's bringing his family. And I said, really? The conversation just progressed. I knew that he was pretty successful because I know other people in the industry that know him and speak highly of him. And I said, what's going on? You just picking up moving. I goes, exactly. I said, really? He said, yeah. You know, after the pandemic, the kids are going to school on Zoom, and I saw what they were learning about. I don't remember his words. I call it uh, gender fluidity and CRT. And he lives in a nice area. He lives up around the Carmel Valley, Del Mar. Good schools. His kids are, if I remember right, five and seven. And... There was nothing they could do. So they took them out of school. They're homeschooling them. He's got his business. His wife works. She stopped working for the homeschooling. And they're looking around. And they're going, this is inevitable. Nothing's changing. And we've got the worst tax laws. We've got the worst labor laws. We've got the worst. He moved. You know what? I've been looking in Florida, as I said, Panama City Beach, particularly <laughs> in Florida. Maybe Destin. And we're looking in other places. Why? Because California is a horrible place to own a business. I sold the business that I loved. The labor laws, the tax laws, the litigation that goes on here, it's absolutely intolerable. What's my choice? Move, baby. Yeah. So if they change the law in the state and suddenly you can't get that abortion on demand, move. It's not cruel to say that. Those are the rules. They're the rules we live by. How many people have moved out of New York? California. I don't know where else in the country. I have a friend that moved a year ago to Washington. Somewheres outside of Seattle. Built a house. And after a year, he's saying, this is as bad as California. We're looking at Texas and Florida. That's what happens. So it's all of a sudden, you say the abortion law changes. Roe v. Wade becomes overturned, and the state that you live in suddenly says, you just can't have abortion on demand. Such is life. I didn't intend that to be, but such is life. The last thing that comes to mind, and it may be the most important, well, there's so much important here, trust. Trust. I talked about this before, but I really think it's so important to talk about and to think about. To have a nation, to have a culture, to have a a nation state that we all believe in and support, people join the military to put their lives on the line for the state to continue to survive, to succeed. People do a lot of things. What we all do is trust in the institutions of the state. If we go to a war and we have a draft, that's the ultimate trust, isn't it? You get a notice that you're drafted and you show up. Why? Because you trust in the government. We have a draft system. People get a quote-unquote draft card. Their number's called. They show up. They don't want to go to war. The last thing they ever want to do is be in the military. They don't want to shoot people. They don't want to kill people. They don't want to blow people up. They don't want any part of that. And they certainly don't want to be Killed, injured, or taken captured. I get that. But they show up to participate in the worst of all human endeavors. That's right. You want to talk about an abomination, the worst ever in human history? It's each and every war that's ever been fought. And I, I've been to war. I can tell you, there's no worst abomination. But people get drafted, they show up. And that's trust and faith in the government, the country that you believe in. And if you don't love and believe in that country, why? And I think a lot of people during the Vietnam War that were still being drafted, they left. They went to Canada. They went to Sweden. They went to Denmark, wherever. they I don't want to say good riddance. That would be harsh. And I wouldn't mean it. None not of my heart of hearts. But good riddance. What can I say? We make our choices and at least you put your money where your mouth is and you just got up and left. But don't come back. I'm sorry. There's also the courts. You go to court. Look at Kyle Rittenberg. Look at that trial. Had it go the other way. Would he go to jail? Would he not go to jail? What would the, the proponents of Kyle say, yeah, we'd appeal it and we'd do what we do. But he would put his hands behind his back, get the cuffs get the orange suit or whatever they have and go off because we trust the system. Look at O.J. Simpson. Does anybody, well, there's a few, but are, are there many people that believe that he was actually not guilty? I don't know if anybody said he's innocent. No, but we trust in the court system. And he walked out free. So we trust in that system. It can hurt. It can really hurt. If you haven't gone through it, God bless you. My friend Ken Hamler wrote a book, Pick a Better Country. I don't think you're going to find a better country. I don't think that when it comes to trusting government, that there's a government that's any more worthy of trust than our government. Trust me, isn't that worthy of trust? It's all fixed. It's all bullshit. It is. But that's the human condition. That's why I always say to people, I don't want to have a carry. I'm protected in my home, and I don't want to carry because I'm more afraid of the quote-unquote good guys than the bad guys. I'm a big supporter of police, especially in today's world. If I'm confronted, I'll deal with it as best I can, but I don't want to be the guy that pulls the trigger and then has to defend myself. I think about that quite a bit, depending on where I'm going, where I'm riding to. A lot of people think that's stupid. Be careful, Mike. Don't go over there without... But I do. Because in some ways, I don't trust the system. And I'm willing to make a decision to expose myself in certain ways so I don't get tempted to protect myself and find out that... And I know that that goes contrary to my belief in the Second Amendment and all that. I didn't say I don't have weapons in the house. I said that when I think about it, I don't trust the system. I do not want to be in the system. I've been through court battles. I've seen what lawyers do. You've heard my opinion about them. I'll say it again. Briefly, it's an industry. It's an industry. It's not a profession. There's nothing professional about it. And that's a shame, but that's the way it is. Don't think of it as, you know, that some righteous profession that's going to see justice. <laughs> there is none. Truth, justice in the American way is better than anything you're going to get from any other country out there in the whole entire world. But you've got to fight for what you want, at least in America. We do have the right to fight for it. And I think that's a privilege. It's an honor to be an American. You've got to value it. And let's just hope that this battle over abortion doesn't tilt the 2022 elections to the left. It would be wrong, but we're going to fight. And let's make sure that everybody out there understands if you want a conservative American country that follows the Constitution, you better get out there and work even harder. You ask for it. You wanted the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You wanted the Supreme Court with conservative justices. You got what you wish for. Be careful. Be conservative. Get out there and fight for it now that you got it. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.